All right, guys, let's just welcome up Pastor Simon. Thank you, John, Kaylee. Good morning. Good to see everyone. What's up, David? David from Korea, when did you get in town? Come home. So I don't know about the, uh, the pumpkin spice uh, controversy. Sounds a little political. Kidding. What's not political these days? Um, yeah, pumpkin spice. It's been a while since I've had a good pumpkin spice latte. I think I'm in the mood. Um, you guys okay? Doing good? All right. What do you say we open the Bible? I've uh, got something on my heart today that I've been so excited uh, to teach on, to preach for a couple months now uh, because we've been working through the book of Nehemiah, got the whole thing outlined, and man, have I been looking forward to this Sunday. One more week after this one, and then we will complete our journey to the book of Nehemiah, and then we will start our fall sort of rhythm, as it were. You guys with me? All right. We're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 12 this morning. And there's portions of Nehemiah that are, are for the most part, long lists of names, um, which is fairly characteristic of the book because Nehemiah himself, who uh, had become the governor of Jerusalem, uh, he, he records events, details, names, uh, prayers that he's prayed, much, much like a, a leader might keep a journal. And um, so, yeah, you come to these long lists of names, people who were involved, people who contributed, people who took on responsibility and different things like that. I think there was one point a couple months ago where actually we, we took, gosh, maybe about five minutes to read through one of these long lists of names. Um, because they're not merely arbitrary. Um, it's significant that the things that God has done throughout history, the way he has shown himself to be faithful, uh, given grace, uh, ha- has, un- has played out in the lives of actual, real individuals. Isn't just sort of like here, history in the abstract. This is God's story being told in like very real personal terms. And so, yeah, these are real people we're reading about. And uh, we're invited into these, these people's lives. We're invited into God's story to find our place, to participate in the story that's still being told. And so the reason why we've been reading through the book of Nehemiah, the reason why we, well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons why we study the scriptures every week, every day, is because it's, it's, it's our way of orienting ourselves around God's vision for creation, for our lives, for this city, for this church. We're reminded that God is telling a story. It's a story of his faithfulness, it's a story of grace, it's a story that Now that Jesus has died for us, God came down, he became one of us, 
and he laid down his life like, a, like the best friend you could possibly imagine, like a good father. He gave everything to rescue us, to welcome lost sons and daughters home. So now we're living in the wake of that great event, the cross, and we're finding our place in his story. So even when we read these ancient events, it reminds us, oh, this is who God is. This is what he's like. This is what he's been up to. And he hasn't changed. He's been doing the same thing for, since the beginning of creation. And it's found its culmination in Jesus. But it's the same story. So here we are being reminded of this incredible God who's invited us home and is now calling us to find our place in his story. Nehemiah 12, we're almost at the very end. Uh, much of the book had to do with Nehemiah leading a group of people to rebuild this city, the capital city, the city where the temple was, where everyone would gather to worship, to make sacrifices, to heard, hear the scriptures taught. And uh, so they've been working hard, primarily to rebuild the wall protect themselves so they could actually gather and, and do these things. But they finished building the wall. Um, that was a couple of chapters ago, in fact. And they've sort of done church. They've gathered and they've heard the scriptures taught and they're being reminded of these things and they're beginning to reinstate these festivals. And now in this chapter, they're assembling this massive choir. I've not actually counted the names. I really couldn't be bothered to, but it's a big choir. It's like this long list of names. People from all the surrounding villages and cities have been invited. Join this choir. We're, we're going to have the most epic worship service on the planet. You'll hear it from space. So that's what they're doing. At the end of chapter 12, there's one verse. We're only going to read one verse this morning, and then we're going to zoom right in on it. This is it. Nehemiah 12, verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. Everyone rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Father, help us. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Who wants more joy? Oh, come on, guys. That, that's an that's a everyone hands up question. Can you, can you remember the last time you, just, you were overwhelmed with joy? Can you remember the last time you laughed so hard you wet yourself a little bit? Who's ever, who's, who's ever laughed that hard? Really? That's so gross. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I've never experienced it, but it sounds wonderful. Joy. A few chapters ago, um, we read 
that the joy of the Lord was the people's strength. God is a God of joy. He wants to share it with us. He wants us to experience it to greater and greater degrees. So who wants more joy? What is this joy that can be heard from far away? How do we get it? How do we experience it? What is it? Maybe we should start there. What is this joy? You know, um, you probably heard talks on joy. Maybe you've read books. It's not a, an obscure topic. In fact, it shows up all over the place throughout Scripture. Um, I've, I've certainly heard a few talks and whatnot. Occasionally, I'll hear someone say that there's a difference between biblical joy and then like, quote unquote, worldly joy. So there's just like joy that's, you know, maybe, maybe you find your car that had been stolen or maybe, I don't know, you could, maybe, maybe you found a bunch of money. There's a lot of great things that could happen in life. And I'll, I'll be full transparency, there's very few things in life that make me as joyful as, like, uh, as coming into money that was unexpected. Like getting that check, you're like, yes, praise God. Like I'm, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. Of course, there's relational things. I mean, gosh, meeting my wife, falling in love, uh, convincing her to marry me, uh, giving me three children, which we, we made together, um, Joy, pure joy. There she is. Hello, Shirley. Pure joy. But occasionally you might hear, maybe you've heard someone sort of try to articulate this distinction between biblical joy and then like non-biblical joy, Christian joy, and then just joy that anyone might experience in life. Um, I don't know if that's particularly helpful. So I did, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, I've heard, I've heard people say that so many times. Of course, when you read the scriptures, there's not like a dictionary definition of joy. Like, this is what joy, you just, you just find it mentioned. You see examples of it. And like we've just read, they, they heard the joy in Jerusalem from far away. But like, what exactly was that? Obviously, there was singing. It was a massive choir, but, like, but, but there's not an unpacking, really. So, this morning, I thought, look, before I start rambling on about this stuff, let me do this. Googled. Psychological definition of joy. APA Dictionary of Psychology, the American Psychological Association Dictionary of Psychology says this, joy, a feeling of extreme gladness, delight or exultation of the spirit arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. I'm like, that sounds like biblical joy. I mean, I, I'll, I'll buy it. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't see the problem with that definition. Extreme gladness, delight, or exaltation of the spirit arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction, not necessarily to do with circumstances, but just a joy that, that rises up in your inner being that's rooted in delight and exaltation and satisfaction. Satisfaction is a very biblical word. Jesus offers us satisfaction. My kids are really into these little, um, what do you call them, not pop, poppets, these, these fidget things but you like poke the little thing in, you turn it over and you poke it the other way. What do you call those? You guys, are you guys with me? They're the weirdest thing ever. I'm like, why? Why do you like these? My kids will sit there and just do these things and they'll say, oh, it's so satisfying. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. 
Satisfaction is something that Jesus offers us. So let's say we just go with the definition of joy. It's a good thing. We want it. Something to do with satisfaction and delight on the inside. Not necessarily to do with circumstances, although there could be some overlap there. What can we say about joy? I'm going to make up for our lack of reading in Nehemiah and quote a lot from the New Testament this morning. And at the end, we'll actually loop back and, and reconnect it with Nehemiah. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I got them all. It's a fruit of the Spirit, meaning that when an individual who has come to put their trust in and obey Jesus, uh, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes and indwells the person. This is a supernatural thing. It's wonderful. It's mysterious. When that happens, something begins to grow on the inside. It's not necessarily uh, a matter of one mustering or manufacturing a sensation or an emotion. It's just, it's what happens when the Spirit of God begins to work on the inside of a person. It's like a fruit that, it's like a tree that grows fruit because of who God is making you to be, because of who you have become in Jesus that now you start to bear fruit. One of those being joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and joy is also a commandment, which presents a paradox. Because on one hand, it's not something that we do per se. It's the result of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of an individual. It grows, and you can't make it grow any more than a tree can make fruit grow. And yet, at the same time, we're told uh, many, many times throughout Scripture to rejoice. Have joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He commands them. It's, it's an imperative. Rejoice. Express joy. Fruit and a commandment, which means there must, there, there must be an element of our volition involved. Act of the will, choice. I love, I love biblical paradoxes. Joy is rooted in redemption. This might be where it's right to make some distinctions between worldly joy and then biblical joy or Christian joy. What is the difference between joy out there, however you might come upon it, and the kind of joy that God is offering us directly. Biblical joy is rooted in redemption. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy when you are experiencing hard stuff. Trials of many kinds. Why? Because biblical joy isn't something that stands apart from or in 
opposition to hard things. Biblical joy is actually something that grows out of difficult circumstances. Because our God is the master of redemption. He takes the broken things in this world, including my junk and yours, and he says, give it to me and let me bless it. Let me make it new. Let me make you new. Let me take this circumstance and do what I do. Work in it. Utilize it. Turn it around. Make it into something great. Joy is rooted in redemption. Primarily, the redemption we see radically demonstrated for us through Jesus' death on the cross. The darkest day in human history, Good Friday. Jesus said in John 16, just before he was crucified, the eve of his crucifixion, he was having a meal with his disciples. They're about to leave and go across the Kidron Valley up the hill to the Mount of Olives and Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, he said, In a little while, you will have sorrow. You will experience overwhelming sorrow. Of course, Jesus himself was about to experience soul-crushing sorrow. But your sorrow will turn into joy. And he, this is John 16, and then he begins to say, think of it like a woman who's in child labor. and She's feeling the pangs of the birthing process. Uh, I've never experienced this. I've been around for it three times. It seems like a pretty bad situation. <laughs> pretty, pretty, is it bad? It's bad. They tell me it's bad. They tell me it's, it's, it's right up there with like a broken femur. It's like, it's, it's bad. And yet, it's out of that that unimaginable joy comes. Because our Father is the master of redemption. Now, of course, you don't have to be a Christian to experience the joy of children, um, but it's a metaphor. Jesus reminds us that the joy he's offering us is rooted in redemption. Joy, conversely, joy is also aimed at eternity. There's an orientation about biblical joy. Hebrews 12, verse 2. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame, being then seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Being seated at the right hand of the throne of his Father is speaking of Jesus' eternal destiny. As the ruler of the kingdom of heaven, the one who conquered sin and death to inaugurate his kingdom, the kingdom that he instructed us to pray for that is coming. These are eschatological sort of uh, things, end time things. And so we're reminded that the joy, the, the, the biblical joy that we're offered is a joy that's not just for the moment, it's not just for here and now, it's anticipatory. It's like Christmas joy. It's the joy that you experience when you're looking forward to that wonderful thing's coming, that, that's coming. And even though it might be a long time, shoot, it could be a couple thousand years. It could be many lifetimes before that day 
finally arrives, but man, there is joy in the anticipation. Because no matter what's going on, you know it's coming. You can feel it. You can taste it. It's almost as if you can see it if you just close your eyes and meditate on what Jesus has promised. And there's joy. There's joy. Even if it feels like you're being crucified emotionally, societally, or like really, it still happens. It's much more rare. But people die. Which reminds me, I actually wanted to do this before I started my sermon. I'll just pause right here. Um, of course, we've all been reading, thinking about what's been happening in Afghanistan. Um, weeks now. I always feel a little torn when it comes to like highlighting current events from the pulpit because there's always something like that we could just spend every day up here just scrolling through the news cycle and praying. Um, and we should, we should pray. We should pray for, for anything that just comes across our way in this little community here on the other side of the world. We must be a people of prayer. But then occasionally, um, while in prayer, I think God presents us an opportunity. Like maybe we could actually uh, focus in on a, on a moment and, um, and see if we can't actually do something to serve some people. So anyways, I got a text from Noah. Where you at, Noah? Way in the back. You smoking cigarettes back there? Where are you? You're like way, you're like back, back row. Deep back. I got a text from Noah. He's been volunteering with the uh, Refugee Care Collective for quite some time. And uh, he said, hey, can we do something as a church? Yes, please. What, what, what are you thinking? Put, put some feelers out. Let, let us know how we can. Obviously, there's always uh, financial contributions, which is super helpful. Um, but it's great when we can do even like above and beyond that. So, guys, just be praying about that. Um, Noah and I, we're going to talk. As I said, he's been volunteering with this group for a while. And wonderful, wonderful family that he's connected with. Um, they have a little, little boy named Simon. He's gotten to me as well. He does come here occasionally. But, uh, yeah, guys, I want us as a church to lean into this moment and ask God, how, how can we perhaps serve as a community? So stay tuned. Please be praying. Maybe next week we'll have a, an announcement or even fill out a connection card, get in the loop, and we'll, you know, as soon as we find out how we can perhaps serve as a community, then we'll go for it. Which brings me to my fourth point. Joy does. Like Bob Goff's love, joy does. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, this is C.S. Lewis. Gotta love Lewis. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. And since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they have become so ineffective in this. The biblical joy is aimed at eternity. And if we have our perspective right, if we're aware that we are eternal, we're, we're meant to actually spend our eternal life with God in heaven, when heaven comes, uh, then that should motivate us. 
should compel us. It should cause us to ask the question, well, I know this joy isn't just for me because the Christian isn't called to live the turned-in life. The love of God inside us compels us to look out and to share our love and our joy with others. And so joy is uh, an emotion, an action. It's kind of like love. There's always, you, know, you always hear the conversation, is, is, love, is love a feeling or is love a choice? Is love something, is it, is it a verb or is it something else? I would say love and joy is more like an adverb. It's a motive. You can do something lovingly or you can do the exact same thing with selfish motives and that's not loving. It's not so much about whether it's an action or a feeling. It's what does it compel you to do? What does it motivate one to do? The joy of the Lord is meant to compel us outwards. It's like my little kids when they're really excited about something. I mean really excited about that video game update that's just about to come out. They cannot contain themselves. They become evangelists running around like crazy people telling the world, which is their family, about this great thing that's about to happen. And the joy is just like it's unstoppable. It's absolutely uncontainable. And the joy of God compels us to do, compels us to share the goodness of God with the people around us. 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. If that doesn't challenge you, I don't know whatever will. Their extreme poverty in combination with their abundant joy has resulted in an overflowing of generosity. By the way, Philippi is one of those Macedonian churches, the church that Paul commanded to rejoice. They did it. They said, yes, sir, we, we're on it. And they rejoiced, and that joy, even in the midst of extreme Poverty overflowed in generosity. Love and joy does. It compels us to serve others. Joy, two more points. Seven-point sermon. How do you like that? Breaking the rules. Joy knows Sorrow. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. John 16. Paradoxical. There's something about God's joy that is well in touch with reality. It's not the kind of joy that it's like it only works for a certain temperament or personality. You know, the bubbly type. That this is a, a substantial joy. Well in touch with like the reality of our world. 
Can you experience joy when a loved one is lying in pain, getting ready to die because of cancer? Can that person experience joy in that place? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. In fact, I just had a conversation about 45 minutes ago, or an hour ago, right here with a brother telling me about his grandma who just passed, and how even though she had pain and knew that she was going to go home soon, she couldn't stop singing and worshiping Jesus. And correct me if I'm wrong after the service, but she died knowing joy, even in her pain. Can you experience the joy of God when you're struggling with chronic bouts of anxiety, depression? I'd like to think so. I don't suffer from depression, clinical depression, or anxiety, but I love people who do. Jesus was experiencing a momentary bout of anxiety that was so extreme that we're told in the Gospel of Luke that he began to sweat drops of blood. Apparently it's a real physiological effect when someone's under uh, extreme duration. They sweat blood. But there was a joy set before him. There was a joy that was unshakable. There was a joy that wasn't somehow could only exist apart from the difficult things in life. It would seem there was a transcendent joy that was available and is available followers of Jesus. It seems to me there's a very humbling uh, factor when it comes to these things. Experiencing the joy of God, the love of God. I'm not left to simply muster or manufacture some emotion that I just wish was true so bad. Even in my pain, even in my darkest hour, I can come to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, is there joy for me now? Can your joy be my strength for this moment? And I believe with all of my heart that the answer is yes. There is joy available. It doesn't make the hard things just sort of disappear. There's a transcendent joy. And perhaps it causes us to feel a mixture of emotions. And that's totally human. But there's a joy available nonetheless. That joy is what we need more than ever now in this moment. Amen? Joy is in touch with reality. And joy sounds like... What does joy sound like? Nehemiah said, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I was um, downstairs on, I don't know, a few days ago in this building, doing something. I got a meeting, and um, I thought there was a mob outside. I heard it, honestly, I was like, Oh my goodness, like there's a riot is breaking out on our street. It was so loud, and it sounded like 
out of 50 voices, just like aggressive, violent, um, kind of startled me. And I thought, oh, man, let me, let me just go like peek through the window, see what's going on. So I go outside. It was two people, two, two ladies, um, one right on the corner here, and the other one just down the street about half a block, screaming at each other. I mean, it was just, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was slightly paralyzed. I'm like, uh, like I want to, I feel like I'm, I meant to do something, you know, like peace or reconciliation or something, but I was like, I was scared. I was like, what? I don't know what to do in this situation. They were like, and threatening, like threatening to murder each other. Like, I'll cut you. Why don't you come over here? Da, da, da. Like just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Really, really violent. And uh, finally, the one woman, she went back in her house. And the other woman was standing about five feet away from me. And I said, what's, what's going on? You okay? Um, she looked like she had probably been sleeping rough for a while, quite, quite emaciated. Looked like she was probably um, not healthy. Let's put it that way. And she said, oh, that lady, da-da-da, this and that, and he called me this, and, and she called me a crackhead. And said, I'm not a crackhead. I smoke crack, but I'm not a crackhead. This is what she said. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Well, can I do anything for you? Do you, do you need anything? We have um, some water, juice, some food. We have a little community pantry that we, we built, and we, we still get people coming in, like, quite regularly, um, usually just wanting someone to, like, treat them like a human, talk to them, um, and then give them some food. We do that. She didn't want anything. She's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, I just got my food stamps. I'm fine. So I said, okay. And uh, I asked her name, and we just kind of exchanged pleasantries. And I thought about praying for her, and I didn't. I, I'm not sure why. Norm- normally, I would just sort of, like, assert myself in the situation. I don't know, maybe I was still a little thrown off by the whole, just the, the intensity of the moment. So I said, okay, well, let me know. I'm here. If you need anything, if you change your mind, just let yourself in. And she said, okay. And I started to walk off. And she said, hey, pastor, can I pray for you? I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> Dang it. Dang it. I'm, I'm just the worst pastor ever. So I said, oh, yeah, Absolutely. So she kept, got right up to me, and she's like, here, I won't touch you. And she, but she touched her foot to my foot. She laid foot on me. And she starts to pray for me this most joy-filled, faith-filled. It was, like, it was nothing like I was just witnessing. Like this woman was like present, uh, stable, and she starts to pray this wonderful, powerful prayer for me. And, uh, and I pray for her. And we hugged. All right, see you around. You, you know where to find me. It reminded me that God's joy can be found in the most unlikely places. This woman was, I think she was a crackhead. I mean, I wouldn't call her that because that would be mean. But she was clearly strung out and had some major problems. But she clearly knew Jesus. Or at least she sounded like it. Joy sound like. What an opportunity we have as a church now in this current time. People yelling at each other, cussing each other out, in person, usually mostly online, the division, the anxiety, the 
angst, all of this tension that can really begin to just, um, I mean, I'm not one to get depressed, but I think probably since about six months ago in the wake of 2020, have just been sort of living with this low-grade depression. I've never experienced it before, so it's hard to self-diagnose, but I'm pretty sure it's, I'm experiencing it. And it's, it's a little troubling, because I don't think it's just going to magically go away. Like, I'm going to need to do something about it, like more than just confess to my church um, in this moment. We have such an opportunity to let the sound of joy ring out in the middle of a world that's just What if we had a vision as a community? What if we begin to pray and ask God, Lord, would you give us more of your joy? I want that. Never mind defining it. Just whatever it is or however we might word it, Lord, would you just give me some of it? I'm not going to wait for my circumstances to change. I'm not going to be in denial about how I actually feel But Lord, would you give me your joy now? And what if as a community we begin to sing God's praises and to serve one another and to be the hands and feet of Jesus out there in a way that the sound of joy was heard from far away? What if all of God's people in the city, what if we have this massive chorus of just joy, that that God's choir of joy beginning to sound out in a city where like light began to just shine out of dark places. And even if people wanted to be mad, even if people were determined, oh, and there's people, oh my goodness, I could rant all day long. There, is peop- there are people in my life who are just determined to be angry. What if we were able to sing the songs of God's joy in a way where people were just like overwhelmed with it? They could hear it and they're like, man, I can't stay mad. I want the joy. I want what you have. At least, at least explain yourself. What is this joy? Where does it come from? And then we can begin to have conversations about, well, honestly, it's a joy that's rooted in redemption. It's a joy that's aimed at eternity. It's a joy that's well in touch with reality and yet transcends the most broken, hard things. It's a joy that's hard to explain, but Jesus is alive. And the birthing process may be really, really bad, but there is joy that's coming. Joy that comes in the morning. What if we began to sing those songs, tell that story, love each other in a way, and serve our city in a way where the joy of God is heard from far away? Thank you, my love. That's, that's it, that's it. Let's dis- I wrote my little note here. Let's disturb the neighbors with our joy. Can we stand together, please?